Hello and welcome along to episode four of the Health and Wealth podcast. You're joined with me, Lewis, Nick, and today we've got a special guest who uh, is actually my own mum, Elaine Birch. We're going to be talking to uh, mum or Elaine a bit later on about her years in financial planning uh, and running her own business. Uh, Let's start off though. Nick, what have you been up to over the last few weeks? Yeah, so I can't believe it's been a month since our last episode that has gone so quickly. I think the big thing is after our chat with our last guest Amy um, we had a few meetings with her about how as the two small local businesses can work together better and collaborate and we're just about ready to start offering a service to help make their personal training gym service even better by doing regular strength testing on the um, personal training clients so we can then say to Michaela this is where your strength is this is your objective this is what Amy and her team now need to go away and work on and then six months later retest that to make that personal training truly bespoke and personal to that to that individual so that's most probably been the biggest thing that we've been working on because it's then just playing around with okay how do we present that data how do we make it quick and efficient for everyone involved but still deliver that that high-end service so that's yeah i'd say that's been our biggest thing we worked on how about yourself well firstly on that with amy i mean one she's great on the old social media isn't she i I still she you you had her running through her paces here so that's uh, that's really great that's working for you both uh me you might might be able to hear in my voice i'm ill or was ill uh, recovering i had covid full-blown uh, c19 uh, and it wiped me out for a week and a half nearly two weeks um proper proper flu it is yeah uh, not nice so that that knocked me out i was asleep for three days in bed not doing an awful lot answering a few emails here and there and got back to feeling energetic probably two days ago now so feeling much better now though good and in terms of a work capacity what we've been dealing with lately which we'll we'll talk to um talk to mum about is something that we're seeing a lot more in finance so the the wealth side of things at the moment which is pension planning problems specifically the lifetime allowance so if i run through a bit about what we're seeing at the moment and then bring mum in is in your lifetime there is a limit to how much you can have in a pension pot. Um, and that stands at the moment at just over a million pounds, 1.0731 million pounds that you can have in a pension. Um, you can have more, but you'll be taxed on it at the point that you start to draw it out effectively. Um, it sounds like a lot of money, but actually not that much if you need to draw on that from your 55th birthday, if you're lucky enough to retire then, right through until perhaps you, you know, you're dotage and you need care it's not going to provide an awful lot of money. So mum, why don't you firstly tell us a bit about your years in finance and then we'll talk a bit about the, the pension prom- problems that we're seeing. Uh, and I think as well, you've got some things to talk about in terms of health as well. Yeah, I have. I've, uh, I've, I've long seen the connection between health and wealth. Um, and so when this podcast uh, started and I heard about it before it started... I thought it was absolutely spot on to be doing this and particularly at this time when people are suffering one way or another from COVID, I don't think anyone is going to be completely unscathed. I think this is very, very good timing to be making this connection through this podcast. So a very quick 
bit about my background. Uh, my father was an electrical engineer and uh, running a, a family business from the garage. My mother was a staff nurse. And um, one of the things mum used to say to me is, if you haven't got your health, then the wealth doesn't matter. And I, I'm not sure I completely agree with that, because if you've got some money, then you can put that money towards supporting your health in, in whatever way, making your, your home more adaptable or paying for some care. But what it does resonate with me on is that if you've got the wealth enjoy it while you've got your health and I spend most of my time now with our senior clients encouraging them to spend more money and to make those memories while they can because if they don't spend it you know their family are going to spend it when it gets inherited and that's a nice thing to be able to do but at the same time having had discussions and being educated by Nick in how important it is for senior people to stay healthy uh, we're now encouraging people to look after their health and to do the strength and resistance training so they can stay healthy for longer and enjoy their money for longer. And that, and that goes, we've encouraged people to come and speak in it. Uh, uh, it's very often, isn't it? We, we have clients in now where they've been very fortunate, but very frugal. You know, they, they don't spend a lot of money. And, and typically as humans, we don't need an awful lot of money um, to, to live our lives you know food and drink and, and whatever else and paying for education but aside from that and the, and the house over the, over your head we don't need an awful lot of money and so what happens is people build up excess money and so spending it on things like nick you're offering to 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 prolong a, a happy life an energetic life um, why wouldn't you recommend people to do that sort of thing yeah, it's ironic with the senior clients is that a lot is in their upbringing that they maybe didn't have much to start with and uh, there's a sense of responsibility of passing money on to the next generation but that can be overdone and, and with senior clients I often tell them that they're the, the number one pr most important people when we're looking at their financial planning. Uh, and, and making them uh, see that they can do more and seeing them enjoy the money is uh, a, a, a gives us a great sense of achievement to see that happen. And so you say about a great sense of achievement then, Mum, So um, and being also business partners and shareholders as well. Tell us a bit about how you started in financial planning because I know for me, you being in financial planning was a massive reason why I wanted to do it. Um, so why don't you tell the audience a bit about how you got started in financial planning? Uh, well, it's all I've ever done. But it's interesting because uh, when I was in education, I was interested in computers and I was doing what you'd now call coding. But when I tried to get a job in it, it was pretty impossible to get a job in it back then. Uh, things are very different now, of course. So I wasn't really sure what to do. Um, and with a bit of careers guidance, I went into finance when I left sixth form. And I did my professional exams within finance over the years and became a fellow. Um, but what is very, very interesting to me is that I wasn't necessarily all that good at math, but I liked problem solving, which is why I was um, swaying towards uh, computers and uh, software and coding. Uh, and all that solution and solving, um, problem solving, providing solutions and the logic that was involved in coding is what we now bring to play in financial planning. So financial planning isn't about the maths. It's about having the solutions and uh, um, trying to sort of plan over very long periods of time for people. So that's really rewarding. And uh, I'm not quite sure how I ended up in finance, but I did. And uh, over the years, 
I've worked in various different organisations and seen it from different uh, standpoints, so from uh, a mortgage provider, a building society, insurance, uh, and mostly accountancy, where I uh, was heading up uh, a large firm of accountants. I was heading up their financial planning, their wealth planning, and really, really enjoyed that. And that gives me a big strength in tax planning, which is also really important in financial planning. Uh, and it's a big, big part of what we do. And so I was able to bring that when I set up the business in 2001. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history, really. Uh, when I set out, Sarah and Lewis were very young. They were children. By them particularly to come into financial services, I don't think. But they saw what I was doing and decided that uh, they wanted to, to give it a go. And they've now been in the business now for um, probably about 15 years, each of them. And are both fellows themselves now as well, which is absolutely fantastic to to see at their young age, they've achieved a lot more than I ever did by that age in financial planning. And it, it puts us in a great position with the business to move forward. It is great to see that it is a proper family-run business. It is like mum, now children. And then now I think, will your sister Lewis and, and you, Lewis, will your children then start then taking over the reins when they then get older and just continue that going forward? But I, I like the fact that it's there are so many similarities to what you do and what we do in that you sort of ask the question of, okay, you, what, what, where, where do you want to be? Like, what do you want your money and wealth to achieve for you? How, what do you want to do? And it's very much, we have the same here. We'll say to people, okay, you've got this injury, but what's your goal? And then reverse engineer and say, this is how we're going to get you there. And it, it's- it, you're absolutely right. It's incredible, isn't it? The point you touched on there, Mum, about logic. And you sort of think, oh, well, finance, yeah, it's all numbers and maths and calculations, which it is, but we've got you know technical computers that can do all that sort of thing for you and nick for, for like for yourself you've got charts that the computer generates and and glossy publications that people can look at and, and how you display it but actually logic is is probably the mainstay in quite a many professions and um c- careers isn't it if you can be logical and break things down into a simplistic form for somebody to to understand the rest of it is just you know useful tools in the background isn't it we sort of i say it a lot even to any we have students interns that come with us and then we look at our feedback and i think the part of the reason we get the results that we do is i say look, we have two ears in one mouth use them in that ratio listen to people listen what their problems are listen what their goals what they want to achieve and then together work out a solution because it's very easy to make assumptions or go down a path and not listen to someone and not get the result that you want. But at the end of the day, as you say, you can have all of the software, all of the glossy brochures, but if you're not listening to what people actually want, you're not going to achieve anything. And I think that's what both our businesses do well is just listen to what people's goals and aspirations are and then work out, okay, how do we get from A to B? What's the journey? Yeah, that's right. And and uh, at the start of the, the podcast, obviously we briefly touched on a problem that, that we're finding many people are having. Um, t- typically it is business professionals that are having this problem because uh, they're the ones that have the surplus profits each year to maybe put into pensions. Um, but it's something that we're, we're considering in, in when we talk to people about, well, typically when somebody comes to us about pensions now, straight away we're talking about annual allowance, lifetime allowance, and actually does it make sense to put any money into a pension um, if you're going to have a problem in future? Um and, and, and again, the reason I mention that is because, uh, you know, hopefully there's plenty of businesses out there listening to our podcast and, and trying to pick up some tips. Um, uh, Mum, why don't you tell us a little bit about 
perhaps why we're seeing more people have lifetime allowance problems or just pension problems in general at the moment? Uh, well, it's because the government is successively um, restricting what we can put into <laughs> pensions and what money. we can take out. Um, it's another tax raid on our pensions. Um, they see a pot of money, it's, it's easy for them to attack it. Um, but, you know, we are where we are with it and what we have to do is try and plan. But it's a very, very fast moving uh, landscape to plan for what are very long term aspirations for people with their finances. So it really is important not just to have your your plan that we've been talking about, where you start with the end and work backwards to see what you need to do. But you need to visit it, revisit it on a very regular basis because things are changing in the landscape very quickly. But also things might be changing in your own situation. And I'm sure that's the same for, for Nick with the, uh, the, the work that you do, isn't it? Oh, massively. Um, we, we have whiteboards in all of our clinics because we draw out and the, 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 one of the two drawings I draw out nine times out of 10 with most patients is you have your start place and you have your finish place. And ideally people want a nice, straight, smooth, progressive line that is predictable and reliable and you'll get better at the same rate at the same speed over a, over a set period of time and it'll be nice and simple. In reality, the line I draw just looks like a bit of a mess. There's squiggles, there's ups, <laughs> there's downs because life gets in, in the way. When we're talking about doing the rehab and treating people, you've got your emotions, you've got sickness, you've got family, you've got work, you've got so many variables that can affect. And I should imagine it's the same with financial planning. Is And I will say to all our patients, we, we know where we want to start, we know where we want to finish, and we will help guide you through that process. But I don't want to paint a picture. It's going to be a bumpy road. There are going to be days where you feel like you're having setbacks. Things aren't going to plan. And that's where, that's our job. My job here is to step in and say, okay, how do we then overcome this hurdle to keep pushing you forward? And this is why when we do our rehabilitation work, we know our data shows us that on average, it will take people five appointments to achieve their goal. But when we look at it, those three of those five appointments are most probably done within a month because we know in our data, if we're going to get any setbacks or issues that occurs early on, then as you go later on, people have the confidence to deal with those setbacks and issues themselves. So that's why you look at session one, two, and three are most probably done within four to six weeks. But then four, five, I meant um, sessions five and six, I meant four and five, sorry, will be done most probably over a two to three month period after that because people have got the knowledge to that and I should imagine it's similar with you guys yeah I mean you touch on it there but something that, that mum and I both do is, is when we're talking to people about you know their goal planning and, and how their their products and uh, money can facilitate those goals is looking at disaster planning and, it, and it's similar what you talk about there is setbacks in the road um, and the setbacks are the the one reason why people should take advice because you never know when they're going to come along but it gives people or you know we and unit give those people the confidence to know that actually those setbacks have already been planned for and i think the current climate that we're in i think has most probably been a prime example of why disaster planning is so important because no i can guarantee not one business person had covid in their business plan it certainly <laughs> wasn't in in mine but i luckily set things up that the business because we only opened six months before the pandemic hit um and then we then had to shut for three months mm. um but the way we set things up was it was the business was stable enough to cope with that okay i didn't know what was going to happen and i didn't know it was going to happen but we were able to ride that journey yeah and it's the right it's having the right attitude isn't it as, as well as some of the things that that you know we can facilitate 
Um, and one of the things I think, Mum, that you've been looking at recently is is insurance companies, isn't it, primarily, but is the sort of things that they can offer in it, in addition to the, principally in insurance is you, you pay your premium and if there's a, a disaster, as it were, that insurance company will pay you a lump sum or, or an income to, to cover something. But they're going much further nowadays. And the link here, Nick, with, with what you do is it is becoming more about well-being and how these insurance companies can help in other ways. Tell us a bit, Mum, what you've been um, reading up on. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because a, a business will have a disaster plan and I'm sure um, many, if not all, of our business listeners will have a disaster plan for their business or if they didn't before, they probably have now. Um, but um, disasters can befall any individual members of staff at any time and, and you won't always necessarily know um, because they might be suffering in silence for example if they've had a life event and they've become vulnerable um, well, they, don't, they don't necessarily want to tell their boss do no, they? No, no yeah. that's right uh, and, and it might be that somebody close to them is suffering or, or, or there's uh, been some sort of financial disaster within the family and money's been, been lost and it's causing them worry because debts have been built up uh, it might be their mental health um, it might be that people have got a poor diet or um, you know all sorts of things can affect their performance at work um, and having something that recognizes that fairly on and supports them um, is is really vital I think and the insurance companies have made this link now so that uh, if you as a business get set up um, a group death in service, for example, so that um, your staff members have a lump sum for their family if they were to die. Or maybe you set something up so that there's some income if they're away sick and so the business doesn't have that moral dilemma of, well, how long do we pay them for and when are they going to come back to work? Um, because the insurance steps in and starts paying them so that the business has the money to keep going and, and supply other people to, 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 to do the tasks that person was doing and give them time to come back to work. Well, that's the insurance side of it. But what these companies are doing now is not just paying the financial benefit, but they're providing for free um, lots of um, well-being now so that, uh, for example, they can have... Um, 24-7 access to a GP to talk on the phone, um, to have a, a Zoom meeting with. They can get a second opinion diagnosis. Um, there's men qualified mental health counsellors, uh, help with diet and, uh, and getting fit, uh, legal and financial support, um, burnout prevention, all sorts of things that they can uh, access. Uh, and what's absolutely brilliant with some of these schemes is that um, as the boss, you set the scheme up and you pay the company pays the premium, which may well be tax deductible. Um, and uh, even if a member of your staff isn't in the scheme for whatever reason, they can still access all these free benefits that you're providing through the insurance company. So as a boss, it just makes absolute sense. Not only have you got the finance to help support your business and to support the staff until they can come back to work, but you've also got all this extra support there for them that helps them to stay fit and to get back to work sooner. 
So definitely um, an area that we're seeing develop and I would encourage all businesses to uh, look at their existing cover if they've got any and to ask if their provider is providing this additional service and if they're not, why not? And uh, maybe sort of get in touch with their advisor or, or, or with Lewis uh, and um, see if they can get something that's better. And I think as well as that, Nick, you, you should be in touch with the insurance companies and asking them to add injury rehabilitation to, to that list of benefits for employees as well. Oh, definitely. It's something that um, one of our other team members here at Collective, Dave, has lots of experience with doing. Because in a previous life, he used to work within the commercial sector in reducing sickness rates at work, trying to increase productivity by getting people fitter and stronger from a physical aspect. Um and it is something that does need to be improved and incorporated either as a company like NK Active providing a service or NK Active provides a service on behalf of a insurance, insurance company, company, for example, because this is sometimes some of the the downsides of traditional private medical insurance is that there will often there'll be caps and measures and excesses and whatnot and Certain companies are better than others, and I'm not going to start naming which ones I think because it's only my opinion, which I think some companies are better than others. But there will be restrictions on treatment. There will be excesses in place. There will be you can only see this person at this location, for example, whereas doing something that is company-specific basically takes all of those barriers out because you'll find some people that won't use their private medical insurance because they're scared their premium may go up. Or they're saying, oh, well, I'm not going to use it because I've got this excess. And you sort of think, no, it's there to be used. Take full advantage of it. However, if, if it could be incorporated within to the workplace, so the service that we are looking at providing is sort of says, well, there are no excesses. There are no treatment limits. It's just we'll just get the job done mm. and just make it as friction-free as possible and get people back to work quicker and keep them there, which then keeps the employees happy but then we'll keep the employers happy because you'll most probably see increased productivity. You'll see this, a reduction in sickness rates, which then has a positive financial impact on the company as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, that really aligns with um, the, the, the way the insurance companies are, are looking at things now to, to keep the, the staff healthy and to support them when they do have any vulnerability. And I, and I think that goes for, you know, all the guests that we're trying to bring on the pop podcast have that same sort of attitude about looking after their staff um, and, and well-being. And I think all know that there's been a lot of change going on in recent years and, and how uh, it's not just a, you work for me and you, you help bring in the profits and you know, I'll take the profit out of the company. It's, it's more a collaborative effort and making sure that everyone's uh, health and well-being is is you know the number one priority well the big thing i hope that comes out of this whole pandemic is we've seen how vulnerable society can be that a a virus can basically bring the whole world to a standstill and what i'm hoping it will hopefully bring people closer together it will change the culture it will see like people can work from home and speaking to some of our our patients here who are high level managers in different big corporate companies they're saying that some of their team members are saving three to five hours a day in commuting time. And they're seeing that actually then they're out doing, spending more time with the family, doing activity, doing hobbies and sports that they enjoy. And what they're actually seeing then is the net effects of that is staff are then doing more because they just feel happier. And 
it's showing us that actually you can do more stuff from home. We can change the culture and try and get this more community feel back. And yeah, that's one thing I hope that continues after the, um, after the pandemic ends, we get back to whatever the new normal is going to be. That's right. And I think following on from that, it, it's about having that right positive attitude uh, and then using things like products that we've spoken about, you know, pensions, insurances uh, as the backup and the facilitator to when things don't go quite right. And then going back to that million pounds, we'll call it, I can't remember the exact figure, but I'll just say a million because that's the closest <laughs> round of figure. Yeah. Well, it's going to be that for the next five years where the government have frozen it. So we talk about, and obviously a million pound is a lot of money. However, if you sort of thinking you could be putting into this for say 30 years, that's not huge amounts that you have to put in probably over the years to reach that by the time it compounds and you get to that million pound pot, is it? So That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and I mean, something that we talk about in our profession is, is a sustainable withdrawal rate. So if you just talk about a pot of a million pounds just for a second and, and you have it invested which I hope somebody would, their, their pension invested, which was would be right for them. And you talk about a sustainable withdrawal rate of maybe 3%, but you've got to make sure that that 3% income is increasing with inflation each each year, which is a, a completely another topic that we're going to have to talk about soon because we are starting to see inflation. Then that's sort of £30,000 a year from your pension pot, um, which isn't masses and masses of money if you've got to acclimatise to spending that sort of money every year while you've been working for example but then it's also it's like the majority of people you'd hope by the time they get to that retirement age they're mostly their single biggest monthly expense their mortgage is well, gone hopefully uh, you or say not, that Nick but actually well, you know, we're seeing more and more people that are mortgaged up okay. uh, don't make overpayments um, and, and I think a lot of that nowadays is because people's lifestyle spending, it, it, their habits have changed. Um, you know, more and more people, there's there's car payments that are monthly. Um, you know, they're, they're going out, expenditure is up. Um, I think actually there's been an increase, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, I think spending habits are probably higher than they used to be. So the mortgage is, oh yeah, well, it's on a 30 year term, we'll pay it off when we get there. Um, and, and actually people don't then think about it I think Sarah was dealing with a case recently um, where it was a case of well how do I sort out my, my finances and my debts and it's a case where we're saying well you need to keep your mortgage you can't pay it off yet um, and, and that pushes that retirement date later and later into the future um, and, and, and then it comes back into talking about health because you sort of say, well, okay, well, when I get to 67, I'll have my state pension and that'll be great because that'll be £8,000 a year, um, £9,000 a year. Uh, but then when do you stop and actually enjoy the money that you've built up? A million pounds in pension is great for somebody that's built that up. And that could be really useful to, to cover the gap between saying, I'm going to retire at 55 and state pension comes in at 67. So, you know, that's quite a few years, 12 years or so to, to use that pension pot and, and facilitate some really nice things. But for a lot of people, I think they're paying their debts, paying their debts, paying their for their lifestyle, uh, and they can't afford to retire 12 years before state retirement age. And, and you say you're then not having the time to enjoy it and create those memories because unfortunately, the older we get, the higher chance there are of health problems developing unfortunately exactly it's just... right yeah and, and and i think that's why they go hand in hand that's why the, the podcast works so well 
because there is that that natural connection between the money helping to facilitate lots of activities um, but those activities you can only do them if you've also got your your health obviously so um, there's lots of planning points that that go around both um, it's about um, taking the time to enjoy it if you can um, you know and, and that's why we're both here to help those people um, if if they so need or, or if they would like their staff for example to to consider their well-being a bit more. Well, one of the interesting things, do you mentioned there, you know, how much do you have to put away to get to the million pounds? Well, uh, we always try and practice what we preach. Um, our, one of our missions is that uh, when we meet someone is to get to know enough about them so that we would tell them to do what we would do if we were them. And we can only do that by getting to know them. It's not just about the data, something we were talking about earlier on. It's about getting to know them, the person. Um, but one of the things that we we do, which is practicing what we preach, is that we start saving so uh, as young as you can, so that it's more likely you'll hit those those lifetime financial goals. Um, and I now have five grandchildren, and I save every month for all of them. So since they were born, um, they have a monthly amount that goes into their pension, which I know sounds really boring, but um, we get tax relief on that, and you don't get tax relief on anything else. And then I put a bit into ISAs as well, so because I think, well, it's a bit unfair to say, here, Granny's given you this pension, but you can't touch it till you're about 70 or whatever <laughs> it'll be then. That's a bit mean. Um, so I also put a bit of money into an ISA, and they'll get that when they're 17. And if, if I think they uh, might misappropriate that money, I don't worry too much because... Because, you know, you need to let people make some mistakes to learn about things. And, uh, you know, that they, that they, what they do with that money will be uh, educational for them. Saving money as early as possible makes a big difference as to, to getting to that million pound goal. But we have to remember it won't be a million in the future. We don't know what the government are going to do about limits but it, it, it's still a tax-effective thing to do, is to put money into a pension. But one of the other things I just wanted to, to put out there, really, for people who are thinking about their finances, is a simple message is think about the four Ps. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, think about what products you've got. Are they the right products? So if you've got pensions, if you've got ISIS, are they the right products for you? Um, if not, then, you know, get educated about it or go and see a, a financial advisor. Um, and then it's about what providers. So, Nick, you were talking earlier on about you have preferences for some insurance companies being better than others. Well, we have, with our experience, the same with the various different financial product providers. Some of them are horrendous to deal with um, and, and, and don't um, modernise their, their contracts when they could. Uh, and others are much better. Um, so it, looking at the product looking at the provider and then when you've done that if you've got money invested in ISAs and pensions for example you want to look at the portfolio so what investments have you got in there you know we quite often see people who come to us and they say you know they really do care about the environment um, and they care about um, co uh, corporate governance and things like that and so they want their money invested in that way but when you look at the portfolios they've got they're, they're way out of kilter with their, their personal views and they've never stopped to look at it. And then uh, the third thing is the planning. Um, and Lewis was mentioning earlier on about cash flow planning, working out, starting at the end, how much money are you going to need in the future for all these um, lifestyle goals that you've got and working back to how you might get to that. 
but also tax planning is really, really important. And again, we've talked about pensions and the lifetime allowance, the annual allowance, but there's a whole lot of um, pension planning that you can do. And if you get it wrong, it's going to be much harder to build up the money that you need for the future. So, you know, make yourself, make it a bit easier for yourself along the way. So those are the four P's that um, we would always look at when someone comes to us. They're slightly different to the other P's that I know planning prevents something performance <laughs> that is sort of... I wouldn't know about yeah. that one. <laughs> so Lane do you have anything else that you want to add just thinking about wrapping um, no I just say up. thank you very much for inviting me along I think it's a fabulous initiative that you're doing I hope um, that uh, listeners are getting something out of it and uh, wish you all the best for the future with it no, no, thank you very much indeed um, for coming on and just giving your pearls of wisdom and, and everything. Lewis, do you have anything else? Nothing from me. No, not this week. No. So thank you for listening and to the Health and Wealth podcast. Obviously, please do subscribe to the podcast. If you've got any comments or questions, just pop them in the comment section or get in contact with us. And we shall see you next month. Everyone take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.